You're listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast, your weekly podcast looking at all things Warhammer. Hello and welcome to episode 174 of the Sprues and Brews podcast. My name is Dave and I'm joined once again by Matt. Hello. Jay. Hello. And Andy. Good evening, chaps. So we've got quite a a busy show this week because we've got a couple of things that we want to talk about. Um, The first of which is a new book which you happen to have acquired, Matt. The the, the Warcry Tome of Champions 2021. And if you like your narrative play, you're going to love this one. Excellent. We are also going to be talking about the news that Games Workshop have dropped the news that there is an incoming price increase on pretty much, well, most of their stock. Um, We have got hold of uh, a bit of a list to go through uh, and talk about those changes. Um, So we're going to do that a little bit later on in the show as well. It's it's an exciting show. I've got a spreadsheet. I've got pivot tables. I've got formulas. (laughs) It's going to be a wild ride, guys. Excellent. Um, We're also going to be, um, as always, we're going to have our top three. Uh, Our top three this week, we're going to be looking at models of inspired us to create new armies. Um, So that should be quite a good one as well. A bit more more fun, that one. And we'll be reading out the community top picks towards the end of the show. Before we get stuck into all of that, let's talk about what we've been doing in the hobby this week. And I thought I'd kick us off this week um, because I made quite a bold... Um, bold target last week saying that I was going to build and paint a Tau army in three weeks so I thought I'd give you a little bit of an update <laughs> it's not going quite according to plan the, the paint schedule may well have been binned um, but I'm not panicking I'm not panicking um, so my ethereal is completely done like he's totally done he's ready to go on the battlefield uh, my fire warriors are behind schedule although they have been um, sprayed, they've been washed, they've been dry brushed, and um, half the unit has had one coat, well, two coats of the orange put on them. Um, I'm hoping straight after the podcast to do a bit more of that. I'll get a work in progress shot once I've got the orange on um, their armour. Um, so I'm hoping to have them done in the next couple of nights. Um, it does probably mean that the army is probably not going to be painted to the standard I wanted by the time the Purple Sparkle Unicorns tournament comes round. However, I am still really keen to use them, and they'll, they'll at least have colours on them, even if they aren't completely finished. But I'm really enjoying painting them, and I I, I want to, you know, do a good job on them as well, uh, as well as obviously kind of trying to get them done ready for the tournament. Uh, and I'm obviously really looking forward to moving on to the battle suits, which I'll, I'll do after I finish the... I wanted to get the Fire Warriors done first, because it's like the biggest unit, Um it's probably not the most exciting, but they're actually they, they are really nice models. Yeah, I was going to say with the with PSU events for like the one days, you only need them sort of built and primed. Um, you don't need them fully painted because, uh, again, one of the things we, I mean, uh, this is my own personal opinion. I hate painting models now for events. I hate rushing it. And mm. when we were writing the pack and stuff like that, that's what we didn't want people to be doing. We didn't want people to be trying to get an army done in a week and turn up, you know, so we, we wanted people to be able to enjoy their painting and take their time. And yeah, I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. The towel will still die whether they're painted or not. But, you know. 
Uh, I, um, I, it's just the last two tournaments I've gone. I've always taken a, a, a painted army, so it would have been nice to take a fully completed Tau army. But it's still possible. I'm not writing that 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 off. But um, I have a feeling I might slightly miss that target. But I'm the most important thing is I'm really enjoying painting them, which is which is the most important thing. Um, and I it's, cool, it's a cool scheme as well, Dave. It's quite um, unique, really. Yeah, absolutely. I've wanted to come up with a, a unique kind of um, scheme. Um, I do like sort of the crisp white that we see is like the, the studio army now, the original Tau colors and stuff. But I really wanted to do my own unique scheme, and I'm I'm very happy with how it's um, it's turning out. And I'm you know I'm trying to push myself on doing like layers and things like that. So um, so yeah, it's a, it's a really nice army to get stuck into. I like anything with panels on it. <laughs> mm. um, it, it makes life a little bit easier. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So far, so far, so so tau. Um, Matt, what have you been up to this week? Well, this week I've mostly been painting Slanesh heroes. I have n- nearly finished a Lord of Pain and a Shard Speaker to stay on schedule for my target of getting the Slanesh painted for April, which is slightly less than the twelve days that that you had. So, <laughs> um, you know, I think we've probably painted as much miniature in the same amount of time. To be fair. Uh, really, really enjoying painting these. So I've done. I've done. I always start with the gold on these because I think the gold's the most striking part of these Slanesh models. Mm-hmm. So I kind of go to town on that bit and then start blocking in the other colours. So uh, the, the metallics are all painted, the skins all painted, and I've blocked in all the other colours. So that the cloaks, the the leather, and that's all that's all based now. So then over the next couple of nights, highlight that up. Job done. And then I can move on to what I've been putting off for the year so far the bliss barb archers because mm-hmm. it's a lot of flesh yeah it is i'm sure you'll do an absolutely fantastic job on them though uh matt because your heroes looking proper ace yeah they are yeah, really, cool. really enjoying them really enjoying them it's um I, I really don't know why i didn't paint this slanesh mortal stuff like sooner because i remember they probably this time last year where they came out like oh yeah they're gorgeous models and then just didn't go all in on him did i i think was it the soul white grave lords came out quite soon after or it was yeah it was and i uh, i painted quite a few undead things and i thought ah oh, that's quite that's quite because cursed know. city wasn't it yeah and again it, I, because of the time commitment i mean it's with what i started painting these i think the first of january didn't I? i've been painting these all year and i've done you know a couple of units now but that's quite a long time for for me i kind of tend to like like to bash out an army but like you said, Dave, because you want to kind of like go to town with them and make them look right, I'm kind of not rushing them. So I'm glad that I've not got any like tight, tight schedule. You know, give myself a couple of months to get these painted. As we get into like March and I've not painted the Bliss Barb Archers, then I'll start panicking a little bit. But at the minute, I'm feeling pretty confident. Yeah, I, de- I definitely want to keep uh, up the rhythm of painting these towels. I do want to get, even if I miss the deadline of the tournament, I want to get them finished um, quite soonish because there's other stuff that i want to paint as well um which i might be talking to you guys about a little bit later on um but um yeah plus i want to have a fully painted tile 1k force at least uh to be used in the battlefield because we all like using painted minis Mm. oh i also i also ordered today uh the latest crusade supplement Ah. because uh i hear i hear somebody's getting getting a bit of a gaming table 
in, in the coming days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, finally, yeah, the time has come. I mean, absolutely, I'm buying it for all of the uh, functions we're going to be having as a family and all the food and stuff. Um, absolutely not to be playing some Warhammer on. Um, but yeah, yeah, that's that's coming tomorrow. I've got quite a bit to sort out before that arrives, actually. But um, yeah, hoping to get a, a day of gaming with you guys in. That'd be, uh, that'd be a lot of fun. Some 40k or AOS or, or everything. Jay, what have, what have you been up to this week? Um, much like last year, I have been painting things with pointy ears. Um, <laughs> although, actually, there's only been one thing with pointy ears I've painted in the last week, which is the pilot of the wave serpent um, <laughs> in the cockpit. Um, so, yeah, the wave serpent, pretty much all week, that and the Ray Lord. So I got the blade done on the Ray Lord and the weapons. He's just the base to finish on that guy now. He's looking really cool. Um, the wave serpent was one I was working on at the same time. Took a bit longer than I thought it would, actually. You forget how many panels there are. I know you said you like panels, Dave, but I don't think mm. you'd like to paint a Falcon Grav Tank chassis. <laughs> um, but it, it's almost there now. I'm, I'm at the uh, applying transfers and um, highlighting weapons stage of the wave serpent. So hopefully, you know, another couple of hours and, and, that, and that's done. Um, alongside that, I've been um, getting me Striking Scorpion Squad ready to go. Um, so I was waiting on eBay because I can't be doing with the, the I don't know about you guys, the um, uh, fine cast resin models. I hate them. I, I just I don't like them at all. So wherever possible, I um, I try and get the metal models. Well, I had eight, nine, if you include I, I must have lost a striking scorpion over the years of the uh, metal striking scorpions. Mm. Um, but I needed two to, to, to replace one to replace the model I've lost and one to replace the second Exarch because I don't need two Exarchs in the squad. Um, anyway, that arrived today, so um, I've been able to get all of the striking scorpions cleaned up based on new um, 28 mil bases. I wanted to match them with the Eldritch Omens Eldar and the Howling Banshees that we've seen. Um, it looks like the new Dark Reapers and things come on the on the larger bases as well. So, and they do they look pretty cool actually on the 28 mil bases. So they're ready to start painting. Um, I've not figured out how I'm going to do them yet because obviously I've been painting a lot of blue um, Eldar sort of the Eldritch Holman stuff and the, the Wave Serpent, the Wraith Lord. Um, but I want the Striking Scorpions, I want the Aspects to be wearing their Aspect colours, so Striking Scorpions are green, so I need to figure out a way to paint them green, but to make them fit as part of the Blue and Yellow Army. So what I'm thinking at the moment is because the, the helms are quite distinctive, all the Aspect Warriors have very distinctive helms as part of their sort of identity. Um, I'm thinking the bulk of the helmet could be the yellow that I'm using, to, to tie it in with the yellow helmets of the rangers and whatnot and the guardians when i'll paint them um and the faceplate i think i'm going to paint blue um so again so it almost looks like a typical um eldar helmet for the scheme i'm using um but that will sit on top of the green armor that they're they're wearing um i know the yellow is going to look okay um but i'm not sure about the blue and the green we'll see hopefully it looks mm. okay worst case scenario um, I'll, I'll, I'll add the blue in some other way, maybe as like some of the tassels they've got or a, a, an armband or something like that. Yeah, nice idea. Um, and then on top of that, I have been very busy building some models, but um, I cannot talk to you about them just yet. Ooh, mysterious. Been a lot of these mysterious shenanigans going on the past few weeks. It has, hasn't yeah, it? It's, it's been, very, very mysterious. It, it has been really mysterious. <laughs> That leaves one progress uh, update to get from uh, from you, Andy. Uh, so this week's been it's been a productive week, but it's also been a, a not productive week, if that makes sense. So 
I haven't actually painted any models as such this week. I started painting a change caster for my Disciples of Zinch because that's been sat in my um, sort of right next to where I'm sat now is um, a display cabinet. It's been sat in there for about a year and a bit. Um, but I didn't get any further than painting the skin. Um, and that's because I decided to uh, tackle one of my other hobby resolutions, which was to paint some scenery. So I painted up um, three of the Time Sworn ruins, I think it is. I think they were Time Sworn ruins, but they're, they're, they're like ruin walls, basically. Um, and I painted them up to match a uh, battle map that I ordered from Game Out EU. And it's gone for like um, a deserty sort of style theme. So I sprayed them Xandri dust. Um, I washed little bits of like pillars and stuff like that with some contrast paints. Um, and there's some like different types of brickwork in some of them as well. So again, I just did that with um, a different color contrast and then just gave the whole thing a wash of Reichland Flesh Shade and then dry brushed all of the Xandri dust sort of areas and um, even the contrasty bits um, with Tyrant Skull. So it looks like um, even the pillars are, you know, they've been painted, but over time the paints eroded away and the brickworks eroded away and what have you. Um, so I painted a couple of those and then I painted one of the Shattered Temples, um, which I managed to pick up, which I don't think you can actually buy from Games Workshop anymore. Um, but I've painted oh, about eight or nine of them for the Purpose Park Unicorns um, club scenery. So this is the first one that I've actually painted just for myself. Um, but that was the same sort of um, thing where I just sprayed it Zandri dust, uh, gave it a wash and a dry brush, but I picked out um, a lot more gold on top. Um, and there's like almost like a, a marble floor on the top of the um, um, of the scenery piece. I picked that out with blue and gave that a dry brush of, I think it was Hoeth blue, I think it was. Um, and the way I've, I've done that, it almost makes it look like, um, uh, not quite marbly, but it almost looks um, shiny and um, it, it looks really nice, basically, is what I'm trying to say. Um, but yeah, so I painted up a couple of scenery pieces um, for my own personal collection, um, which is one of my hobby resolutions. So tick. Um, but that's about it, really. Like I said, I've got the change caster sat next to me and he will no doubt be um, probably get some more paint on him on the next few days or so. But yeah, that, that that's it for me. Excellent. I, I love the fact that, Andy, every week you've you've ticked something on your hobby resolutions. You're really staying true to these. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you're getting, battering us so far. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting the easy ones done first, but um, yeah, come back in June and uh, it might be a different story. <laughs> excellent, excellent stuff. So we've all been quite busy. Uh, and we do have a busy podcast uh, this, this week, so we're going to take a slight pause and we'll come back with this week's news. So what do we have in this week's news, Matt? Well, this week it is Black Library Celebration 2022. So a bit of a, a different week. If you're not a regular to the hobby, every year for the last mm, couple of years now, Games Workshop have been doing this. It's a celebration of all things Black Library, all, all the Games Workshop books, and they tend to put out some special limited edition miniatures 
with that event and because of that you don't tend to get the the, the normal pre-orders just the just the show stuff which isn't necessarily a bad thing because some of those black library miniatures have been absolutely cracking haven't they oh yeah and this year we've got two amazing ones really exciting ones actually uh for fans of the horus heresy we have got a fafnir ran of the imperial fists and dominion of the blood angels now jay i i I, you you play heresy and you've got both of these legions haven't you so i think it might be an expensive weekend for you yeah i called the bosses at games reaction i said look this horus heresy weekend could you as a solid and just have it focused around (laughs) themed around me so yeah they did um (laughs) They're really cool. I noticed on Warhammer Community today they they posted um, Raphne's the Imperial Fist characters rules as well. I've not had a chance to download them yet and have a look at them, but um, yeah, I mean these these are great models. Anyway. And the beauty about these models is um, the, 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 it's not the collector series, are they? But they they are nice sort of display pieces. So you don't necessarily even have to play, you know, have an army of Blood Angels or Imperial Fist to, to be able to appreciate and, and enjoy these models. I don't think. Yeah, exactly. What they've always tend to do with these models is they represent those miniatures from the box. So even if you don't use them in games, they're more of a yeah, little curio to collect. What's cool about these is they are fully plastic. And um, what's super interesting, the box art seems to have a whole new redesign for the Horus Heresy. In fact, even the title of the game has changed to Warhammer Horus Heresy with a new logo, new box art. It's almost as if there might be a new edition of the uh, the Horus Heresy coming at some point this year, maybe. <laughs> Finally, eventually. Woo-hoo. So yeah, so that's, that's really cool. And and you know what? They're eighteen pounds each, and I thought there were going to be more than that. Yeah, that's uh, that's good. So yeah, I'll, I'll be picking them up. Now the rest of the pre-orders this week are really kind of books. So there's a there's a Sigismund limited edition book which looks quite tasty yeah i do want uh, this one this is like his origin story um yeah uh, now, normally the standard that's... edition will come out kind of later won't it but if you want the super shiny limited one uh signed by john french two and a half thousand copies done i don't know how much this is about 50 quid these tend to be but i uh yeah i think that'll be a fun one and a lot of these kind of kind of supplemental kind of uh novellas kind of tie in with the, the wider heresy story as well. So I think this is definitely one worth reading, even if you pick it up in paperback when it comes out. Um, we've also got a Kragnos novel. Dave, mm. <laughs> I'm sure this will be on your list. Yeah. To read. It's definitely and on mine. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And there's a 20th anniversary edition of Xenos. I believe this is £25 for hardback with 15 colour illustrations in it. So you know what? I'm, I don't think... I've actually read Xenos. Really? I'm a fake Warhammer fan. Yeah. So I, I, I might pick this up because um, I've heard good things about the Eisenhorn series. I love them. They're ace. Yeah, it's sad. I don't know why. I don't know why. I, don't, I just never got around to reading them. So, yeah, so that's on my shopping list at the uh, the, the, the Black Library Weekender. Um, what we've also got coming from Forge World on Friday are um, a duo of blood bowl and um, star players we've got bomber dribble snot and fungus the loon uh, one throws bombs one's got a uh, ball and chain normal goblin antics ensue they'll probably get sent off but hopefully they'll kill a load of people before they do get sent off that tends to be how goblins play so they look really cool and then also uh, we have got episode one of the Exodite dropping on the 16th of February, which is what? tomorrow, as of the recording of this show. What? Tomorrow? Ooh. I did not notice that. 
Oh, wow. I mean, this is where we Matt hasn't even watched Astartes yet, so, you know, he has no <laughs> idea. Have you finished watching yeah, Angels of Death true. yet? No, I haven't. I've got more episodes of that to watch. Oh, yeah. my God. So, yeah, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the Exodite. It's, and obviously Dave's a, a, a Tau player as well, so... Yeah. Obviously, he's he's probably going to be interested more for the for the Tau side of things rather than the you know elf on a dinosaur that hopefully we see during the course of the show. Yeah, I, I'm super excited for it because we finally get to see one of these non-imperial armies and and how they go to war and everything like that. And for me, that's so exciting. I mean, the one they did fairly recently with the um, Chaos Terminators getting trapped. Well, I'm not going to spoil anything, but one the, the one with Chaos Terminators was so cool to see Chaos Space Marines and how they talk and stuff like that. So yeah, Exodite, I'm 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 really looking forward to this now. Yeah, exciting times. Um, what's also exciting is that we have found the two new event-only models for this year. One for 40k, one for Age of Sigmar. The 40k one is a Primaris Company champion, and I, you know what? I've, 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 I've painted an Ultramarine or two, but I'm not an Ultramarine fanboy, but this guy is amazing, isn't he? Yeah, he's really nice. Is is he, is he specifically an Ultramarine? I don't think he is, is he? No. Um, I, I don't think... I mean, he, 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 with his kind of um, kind of thing around his, his helmet, he, he's quite mm. Ultramarine style, but I don't think he's got any moulded Ultramarine detail. So you could paint him as... You could paint him as a Black Templar. He'd fit quite well for them, wouldn't he? Yeah. yeah, that the, that sort of knightly asfeti, yeah. Um, he does look cool though. Um, the uh, he's a he's a primary chapter champion. Is your company? He's champion. a primary company champion. So company they're releasing um, what do they call them? Um, rules that aren't designed for match play games. Legends, legends rules for him. But it does suggest you could use him as another model within 40k whether it's a you know whatever kind of space marine character you know, or, as. Um, yeah exactly maybe um now that's not to see yeah, it seems a shame that he's not getting kind of official match play rules rather than legend rules doesn't it but mm. well what I, did I, they do i'll oh, go on i was gonna say what did they do for the recent space marine um, characters that released the um gravis um captain and the um ancient did they release so, match play rules for them? Or they did. They... They, they, got, they got match play rules within the Vigilus Alone book. Okay, and okay. Presumably when we get a new Space Marine book, they'll get it. I think the problem with this one, with it being a limited edition model, there's not necessarily going ah, to be a company course, champion yeah. model in the long term. So that's why they're doing that. But you never know. In the future, they might create a new unit and, and then he gets rules. Either way, he's going to be a nice one to paint up. If you are more a fan of Vager Sigma, though, there's a brand new... Um, Cruel Boys, uh, what's he called? A Swamp Caller Shaman, Mug, yeah. Mug, Mug Rook the Watcher, and he is really, really cool. I actually prefer this guy than the one with the pot rot. Do you? Mm. Uh, I like elements of both. I do like the the eye hat yes. he's, he's got, um, and the fact that he's blind and stuff. But um, yeah, I think um, I think there's elements of both of them. I like. It's a shame he doesn't come with a pot rot, obviously. Um, but no, he's a very cool swamp called shaman. Yeah, it's um so I, I I think next time we go to an event and hopefully they'll be at the um anniversary. the anniversary event at Warhammer World. I uh, I'll be tempted to pick up both of these guys because I, I quite fancy painting up the Ultramarine and and uh, yeah, that, that shaman will get in my 
eventual Crawboy's army when they get around to building and painting it. So, yeah, lots of cool stuff. Now, they do mention the first time this is available, so maybe it won't be at the uh, the Warhammer Open Day thing. Adepticon on the 23rd to the 27th of March. Now, tra- traditionally, Adepticon's where we get some major, major reveals. Also, generally speaking, Games Workshop shows off stuff that's happening within the next three months. And also, usually, big Games Workshop box games launch on the June. On the June? In June. (laughs) So, with Adepticon being the 23rd to the 27th of March, you know, about three months before June, I believe, I'm going to be completely wrong, we've been saying this for the last like 12 months, but the stars may align. And we could see this Horus Heresy box revealed there as the big summer boxed game release. I believe it when we see it. <laughs> as much as I'd like it to be true. Yeah. So, but, but presumably we'll see all sorts of cool stuff. Tyranids may not be out then, so we might get some details of the Tyranid Codex. We'll probably get some more details on the next wave of Age of Sigmar books. We'll probably see some of those Chaos Knights that we saw, little snippets of, and presumably a little bit of space marines maybe and yeah heresy hopefully so we will see when that happens i'm excited um whatever they show and they always can tend to surprise us you never know we might see some more um ash waste stuff as well that'd be really cool in other games workshop news something is coming to the system that um was a thing in in kind of middle earth but we haven't seen any of the mainline games yet and that is a range rotation so for those not aware the middle earth range rotates out they kind of go through seasons i guess for want of a better word generally tied into the books that are coming out each quarter where they will shift some models into the void never to be seen again and bring other ones out of retirement to be available for a short spell at a time it makes sense from a stock keeping point of view they can't have an infinite number of lines available at one time now this is the first time they've done it for 40k where a lot of named characters are being rotated out of the game they will still be completely legal to use in your games however as of the 20 summit of february and i did have the date scribbled down the 27th of february um it be the last time you can purchase these there are some interesting ones in here such as watch captain artemis for the death watch who is a plastic kit Mm. is being rotated out uh, and then we've got some more obvious ones like uh taiko who presumably when he comes back he'll be with a plastic kit surely yeah i, I think the one for me that stood out was um was lysander for the imperial fist because i've always um loved that model and i almost feel like i should pick him up even though i haven't got an imperial fist army and i won't be getting an imperial fist army just to have him <laughs> well you have got a week ish to pick him up if you are interested, Dave, before he disappears. Now, that's not to say that they will be gone forever. The Middle Earth ones come in and out and they're available for a bit, generally a week, and then they go away again. It kind of makes sense for those lines that aren't maybe moving so quickly. Mm. I am surprised to see it for 40k, though. So, I don't know, what are, your, what are your thoughts on this? You know, I'm guessing all of us would rather see all these eventually replaced with awesome plastic kits. But there is still a bit of a nostalgia vibe to some of these, isn't there? Well, there is, because, I mean, a lot of it's firstborn space marines, and like Dave said, Lysander, Cantor's in there, a lot of the old sort of chapter heroes and things. And, I mean, as much as I love the new Primaris range, these were the space marines I grew up with. So it is a bit of a shame to see them phased out like this. 
Yeah, I mean, you've even got, you know, Brother Captain Stern, you've got yeah. Lucas the Trickster, um, the, the, the Khan on bike for the White Scars, that's a, a HQ model that you're not going to have available without conversion now. No. I mean, some of them I, I'm i not surprised with. Like, I think there's a Wolf Guard with Banner or Grey Hunter with Banner. I'm not surprised. It's a, cool that, model. It's, yeah, a, cool it's model. a very cool model, but I, I'm not surprised that's getting rotated. I mean, like you said, Shield Captain Artemis being a plastic kit, that's a bit of a strange one. But then special characters, you know, even if you collect Death Watch, you're only going to have one Shield Captain Artemis. Yeah. So if this means that, you know, we lose eight or nine character models that you probably aren't going to, you, you probably don't sell that well, you know, let's be frank, probably don't sell that well. Um, and it means we've got space for, you know, two or three new kits that potentially are going to sell well, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those, but I mean, at least they've said, you know, they will come back at some point. So if you want to buy them at some point, you can buy them. Yeah. I guess the kind of caveat to that is it might not be for a while. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But then uh, I, I look at it and I, I think to myself, if I bought any of those, how long would they be sitting in my, um backlog for you know it's kind of one of those i mean it it's good in some ways and it's bad in others isn't it yeah it's i don't think it's the end of the world like some people made out and it's it's definitely not as if these models are now illegal um they're just not available to buy so yeah it's not the end of the world now we've got some breaking news that broke just before we recorded now hatchet partworks have put out three different warhammer partwork series i think it's safe to say they have been ridiculously popular, haven't they? they I know have, um, they? people are scouring, scouring the racks and W. H. Smiths whenever they go on when there's like you know a, a box of flayed ones available for eight quid or whatever an issue is. Some parkings to be had. Well, today they announced that they are launching Stormbringer magazine, their latest Age of Sigmar flavored uh, part work series, uh, themed around the Dominion box and. This looks like a really, really good one. So a little disclaimer before we start off, and we do this every time Hatchet start a new series, and every time we get messages going, oh, guys, when this is coming out. Hatchet tend to do a bit of a a trial run on the website to see what the the, uh, interest is, how many kind of people go into it, just to see if it's worth doing the series. They will then normally send out emails saying, yep, this is just a trial run. We've not taken any money occasionally you might get issue one if you're lucky if you're in one of the areas where they do print a test run of the physical magazine and then normally they'll gather all that data decide yep that's going to sell really well and then launch it later in the year so my little disclaimer is i don't think this will launch fully nationwide to august but if you're in the certain trial areas you might be able to get the first couple of issues so what this is it is built around um forces of order versus orders of destruction and this looks like there's an awful lot of models involved pretty much one of each new stormcast kit so you've got the guys with swords the guys with bows you've got the dragons in there you've got bastion in there you've got the archer character you've got the chariot plus a load of um warhammer underworld stormcast you've got caradron overlords you've got sylvaneth that i can spot and against them, again, you've got most of the new um, Cruel Boys units, so the um, the Gut Rippers, you've got the um, Hobgrots, the various monsters, the Slogoth, um, you've got a giant in there, 
Uh, and then a whole load of gloom spike gits. There's sneaky snufflers. There's squig hoppers. There's squigs. There's um, Molog's mob. Yeah, and a load of scenery. This looks like a good one, guys. Um, I, we, we, we've dabbled with these in the past, haven't we? Yeah, I was um, dead keen on doing the Necron and Marine one, but it just got a bit too much a month collecting the whole series, um, sort of financially. Um, but uh, it, this one does look absolutely, absolutely brilliant um, for, for what you get in there. Uh, interesting bunch of characters for the Stormcast. I noticed, yeah, I think you might have just mentioned him, Guardian um, Steel Souls in there for the yeah, Hallows. Yeah, it's um, it's a it's a very good collection. It, it, what I find interesting is it, it's most of the new models, in, including the dragons of both ranges. I mean, the only thing that you don't get is obviously um, the big uh, named dragon for the Stormcast, and you don't get the Vulture. For the cruel boys but i think pretty much every other new kit is included in there so yeah definitely one to watch out for um i'll certainly be if not subscribing certainly picking up some of the, the key episodes there because um that looks like a great way of a starting a gloom spike gets army i know andy you've been dabbling with the uh the gloom spike kits and um expanding my stormcast with some of the missing units i haven't got like the archers in there and the swordsmen looks really really fun for that oh so finally, finally, we have got a little bit of non quite well, hobby adjacent. It's it's Warhammer adjacent. Um on Amazon Prime, the 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 new trailer to the Rings of Power uh TV show played uh, during the Super Bowl commercials, I believe. And Ooh. oh boy, that looks pretty good. What do you think, guys? I I I watch it about two or three times a day now. <laughs> uh, I'm not exaggerating. I I think it's brilliant. I um, me and my brother have been talking on WhatsApp, so we can remember going to see the Fellowship of the Ring at the cinema for the first time, and then going back the next day to watch it, and then booking tickets the weekend after to go and watch it again, um, and then Helm's Deep as well. We we just you know we were just so happy to be alive in this time when they're making Lord of the Rings movies, um, and now this TV series. And I've read a lot of online about um, the, the storyline when it's set, um, sort of liberties they may be taking with, with the source material. None of that bothers me. You know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing this TV series when it is released in September. The trailer is amazing. Um, yeah, I, 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 the production quality of it. I mean, it is like watching a movie trailer. Um, I believe and it's I, the, the, the most expensive TV show ever made, where each episode's numbering in the multi-millions, which is crazy. I, yeah, I can believe it. But it, it, it still brings back all of those those feelings and memories and, and of when we were going to cinema to see the Lord of the Rings films for the first times. And like I say, you know, it may be an interpretation of of the novels and 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 the the, the stories that, that obviously Tolkien created. I, I, I'm not that precious about it. I, I'm going to enjoy it, hopefully, for, for what it is. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it, uh, oh, there's so many cool scenes in just that trailer. Gladriel going up the waterfall, the sort of ice troll thing that. Oh man, yeah, I'm going to go and watch it again, actually. Can we take a 10 minute break? <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, what, obviously, we need to make this hobby adjacent. Um, but the one thing that Games Workshop hasn't had is some million rights. It's. The the whole rights thing for Middle Earth has been a messy, messy thing where Games Workshop had the movie rights. Well, for a long time, they, they had the, the book rights for the kind of Hobbit era stuff and movie rights. And the missing bit has been that kind of um, first and second 
stage part which seems to be covered in the show now i do wonder if games workshop are going to put in interest for obtaining those rights to do a miniatures game based on the series because if you think about the cycle of games that we've coming out we had we had indomitus we had dominion last year presumably we've got heresy this year and again presumably we've got the old world the following year is there room in there to put in a new middle earth game based on the amazon series and then you've got five systems rotating every five years for new editions i don't know that just seems to fit really well to me oh man could you, I mean, wouldn't it be so cool as well? Because obviously the first models they released for um, the Lord of the Rings miniatures game, weren't they the um, the Last Alliance? The, the men they of, were. Of, um... So that would be a perfect time to um, update all that new, new yeah. Numenorean stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, I've not got a palantir here to see, you know, to, to see these facts before they're revealed to us. But I'd. I'd put a good guess on them maybe being interested in these rights. I guess it depends how much Amazon want for them, isn't it? Well, yeah, I, I suspect that it may be quite expensive, seeing as if it's the most expensive TV series ever made. But yeah, I've actually um, started uh, listening to the Silmarillion again now on the audiobook. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, quite a bit of news there, and we've actually um, we've, we've of course got the price changes to talk about a little bit later on, but we want to dedicate a section to that uh, on its own. Um, but before we get stuck into that, I think it's time to talk a little bit about Warcry. So we'll be right back. So Matt, I believe you have a new tome in your mitts for Warcry. I do indeed. So first of all, massive thanks to Games Workshop for sending us a copy of Warcry Tome of Champions 2021. And you know what? I I was super impressed with this book. I, do you remember back back in the mists of time when Age of Sigmar launched and things were a bit weird for a bit, and then the General's Handbook came out, which opened us to a whole new world of match play and, and glorious ways of playing our game. Well, imagine that, but for like narrative play. Mm. So this this does this does do what most of the obviously we've recently reviewed the um chapter approved book and essentially that's that's what the, the main little part of this book is adjusting the kind of match play rules adjusting the points but what i really like about this book is that's just a little a little footnote the bulk of this book the bulk of this book is all about narrative games and new ways to play Warcry and and, and Warcry is something that i've been I'm really wanting to kind of get our teeth into because in, in theory in concept it's nice little small footprint games because you know the, the, you know dave you've got a new, a new table you're not necessarily going to have a six foot by four foot warhammer board on there but a war cry tile and have some quick games around there is a lot more achievable in like normal day-to-day life isn't it absolutely yeah yeah and i remember when this when when warcraft first launched we, we had a couple of games didn't we jay yeah uh, and it was a lot of fun and, and what i really liked about it is it's a completely different system um to, to age of sigma like the mechanics are completely the dice different. mechanic is nice yeah 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 well, what, what this book does is take everything in those core sets so if people picked up the red harvest set recently which is probably the best entry point into the game you know because i think that original core box is no longer available and catacombs is a little bit different where um, yeah this this basically adds a load of, of extra narrative content to it from siege battles where you will team up with a friend and take on another team of two which just sounds like 
got our name all over it, guys. I mean, we had this recently <laughs> when we played the kind of multiplayer games of 40k from um, the last um, Crusade oh, yeah. supplement. And I was reading this and thinking, we, we, we have got to play this at some point. Basically, you take two Warcry tiles. It's a little bit of a bigger footprint than normal. And then you will build the defences. So you have a gate tower. You have wall, wall sections. And then um, you're both you're both of an army each, and it's very scalable. There's no kind of you can do it from two thousand points all the way up to four thousand points. There's quite a lot of freedom. So then the attack will remove a section of wall, and essentially that's a breach that they're trying to get through. And yeah, you, you're thinking Helm's deep here, while the attackers trying to get through, and they're essentially going to try and get into the town behind it while the defenders are trying to kill them. But you know the defenders are a bit outnumbered, so they will take a you know they've got they've got a smaller army, they've been caught by surprise. They've got a messenger who who they've got to try and escort out as they sally forth and get him away to safety so he can call for some reinforcements. But oh no, won't you know it? The attackers get a free monster because they're trying to break down the gatehouse and <laughs> more people in. They've got a cave troll. And it's such a great idea. I'd love to see this for Age of Sigmar, if I'm honest. Yeah, that just, sounds really cool. Yeah, so it's just really, really fun. And then it kind of, we in the um, Red Harvest review, you mentioned branching quests, which are like pick your own adventures for Warcry. And they come back here. There's one for each Grand Alliance. And basically, you will start off. So, for an example for the, for the order one at the end of the mission you'll take a prisoner and they will tell you about a canite temple an arcane library or a dwarden city that's been taken over by chaos and after your game you've got to pick which of those you go and investigate and depending on which ones you pick that changes the entirety of your next mission and the entire path of the campaign you're following so for example you try, you decide to check out the dwarden city um once you've done that You'll play another mission set within in that Dwarden city and you realise it's been, oh, no, the Chaos Dwarves have only gone and taken over the city and they've got a, 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 a demon forge that they're using to imbue demons into things. I'm assuming like weapons and not like lawnmowers, but you never know with the Chaos Dwarves. <laughs> um, and you've got to make a decision whether you, you dedicate your forces to destroy this, this Chaos Forge to stop them from doing, you know, making demonic power tools. Or you decide to cut your losses. The city's going to fall anyway. Let's just loot it and take all the treasure. So again, depending on which army you're playing, there might be different things that your force is trying to achieve there. And then again, based on that outcome, you'll play another mission where uh, you'll play through those events. And all the way along, you'll have little snippets of narrative. And obviously the story's changing depending on which path you go in. And at the very end of that, you'll get a reward based on the path that you've taken. I mean, how cool is that? That That does sound pretty cool. I was actually um, trying to think, like, what I'm going to be painting up in the next few weeks outside of the main systems. Uh, and this is actually tempting me to paint something up for Warcry, maybe an Underworld's Warband to, to play the games of Warcry with. Yeah, well, that's the way it's nicely into what else is in this book. Every single Warhammer Underworld's model that's ever come out has got rules in this book. They're all tied under the Grand Alliances. They've all got the right rune marks. So you know, we've mentioned in the past that it was it's a very... Outside of the Knight uh, Shadow gang uh, it's all very chaos isn't it unless you use one of the the factions from the grand alliance books but with this you could for example build a warband built around the starblood stalkers seraphon underworld's warband with those amazing miniatures and then maybe just add the odd saurus or, or skink or something just to pad out your points which is oh, a really it. really cool idea you know for sylvaneth you've actually got um nine bespoke war scrolls in here so you've got 
all the members of Scaith's Wild Hunt. You've got all the members of Ilthari's Guardians. So you can then essentially create one of those cool bespoke warbands with all unique models by using the Sylvaneth models available for um, Underworlds. It's, it's a, such a good idea. And I don't know why they haven't done it sooner. Because yeah. that we, we, we've been talking about this in the past and you, you've not really been kind of like gripped by a, a Lumineth one because it's a case of well, you've got some random Lumineth models, but they don't feel like characters. Where for this, they're all kind of individual guys, aren't they? And you can yeah. tell the stories that you want to tell with them. It's the kill team, isn't it? A kill team sort of thing where, like we saw the uh, Deathcore and the Orcs, they're all unique models. They've got unique war gear, unique name, unique poses and sculpts. And you don't get that if you just take generic infantry from an existing Age of Sigur army. But the Underworld Warbands... They're perfect. They they are basically kill teams, aren't they, for for Age of Sigma? So yeah, exactly. Now, obviously, you normally play about a thousand points, and a lot of these these kind of warbands are going to be less than a thousand points. But the fact that the the, the few points that you're missing, it isn't so bad. If say you take the the, the Luminous warband from Underworld and add in a Sentinel and and a, you know a, a Cathal or whatever they're called, again because you've not got duplicates of those kind of battle line models which we'll come to in a bit of a battle line. Um, yeah, it just, it's such a good idea. And I can see all of us probably using an Underworld's Warband to build something yeah. for, for Warcry, which in the past hasn't even been an option, has it? No, no, no. That, that's really cool. Yeah, any, any excuse I, I, to put some more Underworld Warbands on the table is, is good in my books. Well, exactly. Like you've got you've recently built an Ossiart Bone Reapers army. You could use the Kane's Reapers and all those guys and, and throw in some of the bits and bobs. So, yeah, really, really impressed with that. So before we kind of move on to the next kind of segment of the show, I just wanted to give a shout out to the absolutely mahusive narrative play kind of section of the book. So obviously we've talked about the, the, the branching adventures, which is really, really cool. But what um, I think Sam Pearson wrote wrote these, um, who's kind of created Warcry, and uh, obviously you can tell that they put a lot of love into this. They've got five kind of entire campaigns uh, in this book, six campaigns, sorry, in this book, which are tied into the Broken Realm series and the Dominion box. And basically some of them act act as a sequel some of them act as a prequel it lets you play through some of those smaller actions in warcry scale before segueing into full scale games of age of sigmar which is something that i've wanted to see in imagine kill team games where you could transition between kill team and 40k and apocalypse that's the kind of vibe that we've got going here but tied into the narrative events that we've kind of seen happen over the last couple of years yeah cool stuff this real really feels to me like if you've got like a bunch of friends or whatever and you get them to like Warhammer World for a weekend, you can play like a big game of, you know, Lumineth versus Bone Reapers and try and recreate the Techless book. But then you can have like small little skirmishes um, from Warcry. You know, maybe there's an, a watchtower on you know the edge of the battlefield. And if one force gets control of a watchtower, they signal reinforcements and that affects the overall battle you know and uh, yeah seeing these different games come together to make this narrative is it's so cool isn't it let's face it 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 is very very cool so i'm not going to to all of them i've done a full write-up and video on the website and uh, it's a jam-packed podcast that we've got today but i did want to call out a few of them just for 
give you listeners at home some kind of an idea of the stuff that's in the book. So one of my favourite ones, The Purge of Anvil Guard, it is based around the events of Broken Realms Marathi. Prior to Marathi annexing uh, Anvil Guard, um, the Stormcast Eternals, led by Kaiser Van Brecht, was trying to investigate what was happening with this this shadowy organisation called the Black Scale Coil, who were kind of pulling the strings in the background. And basically, it's kind of like a game within a game. Between your games of, of Warcry, you'll essentially have a map of Anvil Guard, and the Black Scale Coil player has, has picked out of the locations, the harbour, the gullies, the towers, and the undertunnels, which of those is actually where the kind of, the, 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 the kind of uh, mystery is hidden. And after their games, the Stormcast player will unlock a certain number of clues based on where the Black Scale players secretly put these secrets to be found throughout the city. So, for example, I don't know, I'm, I'm the Stormcast player and I decide to investigate the harbour. Well, Andy's secretly allocated a major asset to the harbour. So if I win that battle, I'll get four clues and then I can use those clues to eventually find out who the mastermind is behind it. And then that unlocks a massive kind of like showpiece battle at the end where the Stormcrest try and take out this ringleader of the organization. And that is just so cool, isn't it? Uh, even to the fact where it then segues into the, the, the narrative storyline that's within the Broken Realms Marathi book. So well done. And I do wonder if this book was maybe due to come out a little bit earlier and it's maybe been a little bit delayed due to COVID, which is a shame. Um, another one that I really like here as well is The Rat Hunters, which is a solo um, uh, Warcry campaign. So I know we've, you know, we've not been able to play as much Warcry as we've wanted. But guys, if you could play Warcry by yourself, would you go for it? I think I would I would probably give it a go. It's a shame they didn't time this with all the lockdowns that we had. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Yeah. It really is. Basically, you you can play it uh, single player or you can play it co-op, and it is set during Broken Realms Kragnos, where you're going through Excelsis the city, and there's Skaven assassins and waves of Skaven coming at you, and there's like an AI and logic system to determine what they do. You'll go through a few different missions until you build up to the big kind of showpiece, and all these kind of end in a big cinematic battle at the end. The one for the Rat Hunters is um, you, you find the leader of the Skaven warband and you've got to assassinate him and get your guys out of the city before it all goes wrong. There is an infinite number of Skaven coming at you. Every Skaven you kill goes back into reserves ready to come on the board again. So it's very much a gauntlet that you've got to get through. Kill this leader and get your guys out before they get killed. Again, super, super cool and mixes up the ways of playing. Yeah, um, I mean, there's nothing to say that in the future we might change it out and you know, not have Skaven and you have like Gloom Spike Gits or even Iron Jaws or, you know, something like um, uh, in the Call of the Archeon book, they have like trials for the Chaos Champions to go through. Stuff like that would be so cool and work so well at Warcry level. Yeah, and this is this is very much a, a kind of toolbox to let you do cool stuff with the game. Uh, you know, you can adapt these, you can change the armies, you can mix things around a little bit and, and use them to fuel your own ideas. Um, the last one I want to kind of give a shout out to is a Fool's Troven Orphan card. So this is a campaign set within the city of Orphan card, which we know from Curse City. It's probably not a great place to go on your holidays to. Um, <laughs> but it features four kind of like rival war bands who are all going through missions to kind of, you know, doing their own thing. At night, in Orphan Khan, things get bad, and the dead start raising. 
there's kind of like bespoke war scrolls for every unit out of um Kerr City that will randomly get kind of the zombies and skeletons and Varg skiers will claw their way out of the ground and basically be kind of NPC monsters that will attack each side during the battle, which is really cool. After each mission, there's kind of flavour of Mordheim where you can send your fighters out into Orphan to find secrets. And that is a currency that you can fuel to kind of get a winner of the campaign. But there's a chance that you get pulled down by the dead and killed and become one of the walking dead yourself. <laughs> really, really cool. And at, at the end, once you've got the, you know, a, a player's got the correct number of currency to unlock this final mission, it is a big four player triumph and treachery game with an AI undead army also in the mix so not just trying from treachery trying from treachery with the dead trying to kill everybody as well for an absolute carnage of a game so i think we absolutely need to try and play that as well at some point yeah that sounds really good uh, i mean i love i love me some triumph and treachery anyway but um yeah that sounds ace so it yeah just, really really cool book oh go on andy it, it does sound like one of those things to do on like a, a weekend instead of like going down to warhammer world and playing like two or three games of Age Sigma or 40k whatever just sit down and just bash out you know a bunch of Warcry games and just play through the through the campaign that to me sounds amazing yeah I'm I, I am fully up for that and and what's even better than that the, the book actually supports you on that in the kind of pitch battle things there's a whole section that talks about how to do a one-day event it gives you advice on how to run it it even gives you a schedule on when you should have the games when you should have lunch prize kind of charts to work out how to give each player a bespoke artifact of power that they can take away and use in their warband in the future based on how they've placed you in the events and all that would really work well with that if you say okay we'll play this this narrative event over this weekend we use this tournament framework to organize getting the games in and, and lunch breaks and, and kind of rewards at the end of it and then i think that'd be like a really memorable thing for the players especially when you've got these kind of like bespoke artifacts of power that are then you know little relics that your uh your warband's taken away and you're you're thinking oh yeah that guy, my guy got that when he was crawling the streets of wolf and Khan and dave's <laughs> warlord was turned into a zombie <laughs> <laughs> exactly so yeah i i was really really impressed with this book and you know what it made me kind of miss the old general's handbook format for you know for both of the older systems because i think the mainline games have moved away from this kind of here's a book full of fun stuff that you can do and really it's kind of for 40k we've got the crusade books which do and the narrative books that do a great job of that I just think we're really missing this kind of book for Age of Sigmar, kind of leaning into the path to glory and the narrative stuff. And it's not all about taking a list with 18 dragons and smashing somebody's face. You can have fun playing the game as well. Yeah, I noticed, uh, I was looking in the General Sandbook the other day and uh, they took meeting meeting engagements out of the latest General Handbook. And for me... uh, I, I love playing Age of Sigmar. I love playing um, 2,000 point games, but I've really come to love playing 1,000 point games. And I think meeting engagement, if you played it on a smaller board size and played it on quote unquote the right sort of level, it was such a good way of playing the game. And again, like you said, with um, the Crusade books and stuff like that, if they start churning out these Path to Glory books, which give us like 
30 scenarios and you know one of them's defending in a realm gate and another one's laying siege to a to a watchtower something along those lines it would add so much to the game it would what gives me hope what gives me hope is that Warcry is written by the sam and he's also been the guy who's been involved with the path to glory stuff so i'm really hoping that when we get that first path to glory book it's this kind oops sorry is this kind of thing so yeah really really fun book um if you play warcry i recommend it if you don't play warcry and you've got some underworld warbands this seems a really good in to play in the game as well so yeah just thought i'd show you share my thoughts on the on the on the book the full write-up and the video is all up on in the usual places over on spruceandbrews.com so uh, yeah check that out if you're interested There'll also be a link in the podcast notes as well, so you can check it out as uh, via that as well. Awesome. Thank you very much for that, Matt. Much appreciated. Can't wait until we can get a game of that under our belts. Uh, we're going to have a slight change of pace with our next segment and um, because we're going to talk a little bit about price changes. So uh, grab a fresh brew and we'll be right back. Now, just before I hit record on this segment, uh, I said the words, let's get our spreadsheets open. And that's not something I've ever uttered before when we've been recording these podcasts, but it, it, it's happened this week. And that's because we're talking, uh, well, it's a bit of a serious topic, this. Um, over the last seven days, Games Workshop have announced that a number of their products, a number of their lines are increasing in price. Um, so we wanted to take a section uh, on this podcast to talk about this because... It's it's an important topic uh, for us as as hobbyists, you know. Um, let's all be honest, Warhammer is not the cheapest hobby anyway. Um, so any kind of price changes is is, is going to sting that a little bit more. Um, Matt, do do you want to kick us off with this? Because I know you're you're a little bit more prepared than, than myself. Yeah. So so like you said, Games Workshop have, have announced that there's going to be price updates. Now to put this in context. Everything, everything outside of Warhammer is is going up in price just due to a lot of different factors. I think inflation's ticking around 6% at the minute. We've got massive increases in energy costs. We've got all additional administration and transport costs from Brexit. Yeah, it's going to be an expensive year. And unfortunately, this has hit Games Workshop as well, where, you know, all all this stuff, material costs, electric costs, transport costs, is having a knock-on effect that, you know, while a company may be making a lot of money, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're able to absorb those costs because, you know, they, they still need to turn over a certain amount and, you know, we'll necessarily go into that side of things. And some companies have been able to absorb these. I imagine other miniature providers have also had to kind of pass on these price creases, unfortunately. So the short version is, on the 7th of March, a number of Games Workshop items will be going up in price. Now, on the website, they've called out that the majority of things will be going up 5% on plastic kits. Now, some things are going to be more expensive. Books and scenery are going up 10%. Resin miniatures, and that means the entirety of the Forge World range, is going up 10%. And then there's some really high ones, uh, Blood Bowl, and metal miniatures are going up 20%. So that is going to be the majority of your Middle Earth range is probably the only range that's still got metals kind mm. of going around. Now, they, they, they wanted to get this out to give people enough notice that they could buy things at the current rate because they could have just said, next week all these prices go up. People wouldn't have been happy. 
<laughs> but so at least they've given us a little bit of a window there. Now they have said they've been able to control prices on some things. So paints, brushes, paint sets, tools, and the majority of starter sets, with a little caveat that we'll get to later, are not going up in prices. And if you're also based in Australia, New Zealand, Japan, or China, you're not going to have any price increases there. Though I will say that all those territories have a, to pay, already pay a substantially higher price for their uh, Warhammer. So I've been a bit of a massive nerd and <laughs> opened up the, the the retailer spreadsheet that lists all these price changes and done a little bit of a digging. And while they say that most plastics were five percent, it's not necessarily that easy across the board. So I think we've probably all had a, a nosy a few things that interest us in particular. But what I wanted to do was just kind of go through kind of a, a swore the stuff and see what the price changes are because at first where they said most things got five percent that doesn't sound so bad but some things are higher than that some things are less than that so first off the bat every single blood bowl team is going up five pounds fifty a 21 percent price increase that is a big jump blood bowl's always been a really good game in that for the old price of 26 pounds that's a really you, a lot of these you can just buy that and you're good to go that is going up to 31.50, which is a big old jump. I don't know what you guys think on this. On Blood Bowl's always been more of a kind of a bargain entry. And 31.50 certainly isn't expensive to have a team, but it is a big jump over what we're currently paying today. Uh, yeah, I think you've pretty much nailed it there because the fact that you, you, you're not going to sell quantities of these because once you've bought a box, you know, you, you, you're unlikely... You, you may you may need two maximum. You're very unlikely to buy three. Um, it's not going to have that much resellable value per person. Um, and because it's one of their sort of niche for, you know, it's not one of their mainstream games, they're obviously going to want to make as much margin out of the sales that they are going to get um, as possible. So I can understand, I, I mean, I don't 100% agree with it, but I can understand that, this is where they're gonna we're gonna see the the biggest margin increases. It's a big jump though, five pound fifty. It I, is. I mean, the the way I'm choosing to look at all of this is, am I willing to pay this new price for what I want? And for most part, yeah. I mean, like you said, a blood bowl team, thirty one pound fifty for a blood bowl team. That's still pretty good value. I mean, yeah, it is. You know, it it's more expensive than what it was, but it's still not insanely expensive. I mean, back in 2020, when we all went into lockdown and stuff like that, I really reevaluated how much I was spending on this hobby because I was literally, you know, apart from you know going out and doing a little bit of exercise every now and again and going to work and stuff, I was just painting models effectively and uh, just trying to paint those models and not buy stuff i was saving it you know it's like you said this this hobby isn't always cheap but since then i've really looked at how much i spend on this hobby and for me i kind of look at all these price increases and i think to myself okay it means i'm spending 96 pound a month on what i wanted as opposed to you know 85 or whatever and for me that's like yeah, it's like going to McDonald's. <laughs> you know, it, it's effectively it's costing me a McDonald's more, 
but I'm not yeah. having to eat a McDonald's, which is probably a good thing for me. So <laughs> I, I, I think it, it, I mean, I understand why Games Workshop have had to increase the prices. And, you know, I ultimately, at the end of the day, it's, it's kind of one of those where it's like, would you rather Games Workshop increase the prices or would you rather them go out of business, it's, you know, or make less money and have a big knock-on effect? And ultimately, I, you know, I want Games Workshop to prosper. Um, but I think for me personally, uh, again, this hobby is only as expensive as you make it out to be. It's like you don't have to buy anything that comes out. You know, you don't have to buy any of these new models. So for me, I mean, I'm looking at like the Fury of the Deep box set. You know, I really want to get back into Fire Slayers. And at some point in the future, I really want to do an Idenf Deep you know, army as well. Is, you know, a 10, you know, five pound increase really going to stop me from buying that box? No, probably not. The, the only thing I would jump in on that, Andy, um, is I, I do want to see GW prosper, but I don't want to be priced out of the hobby. Um, but like you've 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 said there, it, you know, it's up to you how much you get into the hobby. You know, if you can be a bit more reserved and concentrate on that one army or concentrate on that one system, then it's going to bring the cost of the hobby down for you. Um, we're obviously massive Warhammer fans. We we spread ourselves across all the systems. So it does start to to add up. Um, yeah, I mean, I reckon if I didn't buy anything from Games Workshop for the next six months, I could still be building and painting a new model or a new unit every single week. And and that's simply because over the last two, three months, I've been really naughty and buying more than I'm painting. Yeah, I mean, so for... it's... I think for any maybe younger listeners as well, I think Andy's hit the nail on the head. Though you don't you don't necessarily have to buy everything. We're in the very privileged position where we 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 get a lot of stuff sent to us by Games Workshop as well, and we get we do get excited about it and we talk about hobby and you know <laughs> we want to play games with them. But you don't need to you don't need to jump in and buy a two thousand point army to play the game. Crusade, Path to Glory, and you know what this is maybe a nice idea for an entire show on. Uh, budget hobbying and how how to get into the hobby on on a you know shoestring budget you, you don't need to even though most tournaments are at 2000 points you can have enjoyable games of age of sigmar at 600 points you can buy these starter boxes and just use that relative I values s- i think are biggie isn't it like these blood bowl boxes are going up to 31 pound 50 but arguably outside of a a, a a star player or a big guy that is your entire kind of like force for that then. Uh, sorry, Jay, what are you going to say? I, I was going to say on the same on the same subject, th- there's other ways now to, to, to buy Warhammer models. I mean, we were just talking about the Partworks series earlier on in the show, and you can sort of avoid a lot of these price increases if you pick up a series like that, where you're getting kits at very discounted prices just over a, a longer period of time, which ties into andy's point that you know you there's only so many hours in a day where you've got a chance to build and paint these models so maybe it's not such a big problem if it takes you six months to collect a stormcast army if, if you're saving a lot of money in the process yeah i mean my osseot bone reaper army i think i started it in march last year and i only just got it up to 2000 points um just before christmas so if you look at that over the course of a year it's taken. I, mean, I think the army cost me about like 300 ish pounds, like just off the top of my head. But over the course of like 
eight, nine months. That's not, you know, it's not that bad. It's manageable. Mm. I guess we'll see everything in context, haven't you? Because a lot of people will go out and drink £100 without even thinking about it. Well, you know, I, I don't smoke. I don't really drink. I, I, I put that energy and money into Warhammer. I guess it's being controlled with it, isn't it? I mean, if we run through some of the other, the big price increases on here, dice are going up 20%, which I think is a big jump. You're talking a four pound. I mean, if they roll more dice. sixes, then you know. <laughs> <laughs> You've got your money's worth there. Yeah. Uh, a lot of scenery is going up between 12 and 16%. They're big, again, relatively niche kits because people aren't picking them up. The one that really caught my eye is that all kind of data cards, Necromunda gang cards, all that kind of stuff, are going up between 13 and 15%. Now, I used to be a big herald of those, but it's getting to the point where say for £17 for the data cards, are they worth it at that point? Yeah. I mean, yeah. especially when you've got the, the app vying for your attention as well. Um, I, it's it's a it's a huge choice, isn't it? Spending that money. Yeah, yeah I mean, so, worse so, comes yeah, to worse. Carrots model, Dave, yeah. I mean, worse comes to worse. You can always sort of like just open Microsoft Word or whatever and you know, just write out your own. The, the only thing you're really paying for with like data cards and stuff, like don't get me wrong, they are super useful and really good quality and stuff. But the, the big thing you're paying for them is convenience, isn't it? You, you're paying for them to have them there. Whereas, you know, you, you could, dare I say it, just make your own. But yeah, I suppose, again, you only need one set of data cards per army. But well, the problem there is, is, is I, I find date cards, especially in the sort of last 12, 18 months or so, they're out of date almost. You know, you buy a pack of date cards for the Sisters of Battle, for example, or and then two weeks later, there's a, a, another um, expansion released uh, or set of rules in, in one of the, the supplements they release. And you don't, you know, you, you, you've not got a full pack of date cards anymore. Um, the White Dwarf's pretty good recently because I've noticed in White Dwarf you tend to get the cardboard sort of card inserts where you can, you know, versions of these stratagem cards and things like that. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, I think Games Workshop have, have, have seen that. You don't want to make a, a product kind of like, yeah, redundant a couple of weeks later. And we, we've seen a bit of that in the last few issues where they've got inserts to update the army, which is good. Which is good. I just, um, I don't know. It can, I can kind of brings us to the books. All books have gone up ten percent. So the majority of battle tomes are twenty-seven pound fifty. Um, your bigger ones, like the um, the the um, the newer ones, like the the Stormcast and the Cruel Boys, have gone up a couple of quid as well. So I think we're talking like thirty something pounds for those now. Um, which which is a lot, but I will say that as someone who used to collect a lot of kind of role-playing game books, the kind of prices that you're paying for them, I suppose the difference is now we are seeing a lot of books coming out soon after that book with supplemental rules. I think, Andy, you touched on this last week or the week before, that while you don't have to buy those books, sometimes from a competitive point of view, you might feel that you need to. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, if, if you're trying to be, I mean, the four of us were pretty casual players. I don't think any of us really claimed to be competitive players. I mean, I, I tried to be, but it just, 
I, I didn't enjoy the hobby doing it that sort of way. Um, and I feel like if you are a competitive player, then you are probably willing to pay this extra bit of money for the same content that you were paying for. Like, don't get me wrong, I'd be a bit frustrated if, you know, you you had to buy five books, you know, a campaign book, a supplement book, your codex, the chapter approved, except, you know, all these books just for just to play one army effectively. But then if you are a competitive player, you're probably going to do that. But at the same time, it, like the Tau Codex came out, I haven't bought the Tau Codex because I don't really see myself doing a Tau army in the next 12 months. Don't get me wrong, in 12 months' time, I might change my mind. And, you know, I mean, again, like I said just last week, I've got no willpower whatsoever. So I <laughs> probably will end up buying the Tau Codex at some point. But it, 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 no player has to go out and buy everything because yeah, no one can really afford that. You know, that's an insane amount of money. But uh, especially in the last sort of like two years, I I look at armies and I think to myself, especially 40k, am I going to do this army? No. Okay, cool. Like, I, and again, you, you said before, Matt, we're in a bit of a privileged position where we get, you know, review copies and stuff like that. You know, Gene Steeler Cult Codex, for example, I, I read your review on it long before I bought the codex because I, I looked at those reviews and I thought, is this a codex I'm interested in? And I'm like, yeah, you know what? It is, but only at a thousand points, not 2000 points. So yeah, and I, I, I think, think that's one thing as well. When we, when we review stuff, we, there's, there's a lot of stuff online about, about reviews for stuff, not being, being genuine. I know when I write a review, I will be thinking it from a point of view of, would I spend my own money on this? You know, we, mm-hmm. yeah, we, yeah, we get the books free. Yeah, we, we get models for free. But I, I think we all of us would try to we'll be honest here in the reviews is this is this worth the money? Would I pay this price for it? And I, I guess that comes into where we've been focused on a lot of, of, of Crusade and Path to Glory stuff where like Dave, your series on the on the tower is a really good example of being able to start an army with a cheaper option. Now, I will mm-hmm. say those combat patrol boxes, they are subject to this price increase as well. So they are getting a just over 5% price increase from £85 to £90, which I do feel is getting... Back when the the stock collecting boxes came out, they were kind of nice little uh, boxes that were achievable to save up and get for, I don't know, a present or that kind of thing i think 50 pounds when they first came in they've, they've crept up since then i do feel 90 pounds is a little bit on the pricey side however you do get an awful lot in those combat patrol boxes compared to what you used to get from a small army point of view yeah i mean yeah. they're basically 500 points now aren't they which you you can play games with but i mean 90 quid you're not far off a christmas box yeah, and and arguably some of those Christmas boxes have got better savings as well. It's mm. it's it's a balancing act, I guess, for them, isn't it? It de- these combat patrols, they definitely don't feel like if you're brand new to the hobby, they're a cheap way in. I, I would be more looking at the um, the starter sets that they do, the cheaper ones of those, as more of an entry. But it depends on obviously what you want to play as. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is still a saving to be had in those combat patrols, which is the most important thing, I think. Yeah, and it's it's worth saying that a lot of things haven't gone up much. You know, there's there's, there's things on here that have gone up 50p 
or a pound. There's some random outliers, like I think Corn Berserkers have gone up two pounds, which considering that's such an old kit, it seems a bit strange. I know it's the Hearthguard Berserkers. It seems to be like in some cases boxes with five models in or something have gone up a bit. The smaller sort of contents wise, which is a bit strange. And I do yeah, I wonder if some um, of that is is to balance the uh, obviously the, the Firesides is a really good example because the Magma Droth costs the same price as the Stark Collecting Box. So mm-hmm. whether they've started to drift some of those prices, so you haven't got that strange situation where no one would ever buy a Magma Droth because you just buy the Stark Collecting Box. Yeah, Maybe. yeah, I, I I guarantee that when they get like a new Vanguard box, it will not have a Magma Droth in. But having said that, there's not many kits for Firesides, is there? So maybe it will. Maybe it will. Maybe it'll have two. Um, so, yeah, so I think, yes, there are some things going, well, uh, all the models are going up. Uh, one of the th- things that kind of struck me was that spray paints, which they didn't actually mention in the article, are going up 10%. So a can of um, Wraithbone, you use that quite a lot, don't you, Dave? £13.75 now. Mm. Um, yeah. Which is, which is expensive. <laughs> Retributor armor spray is now twenty pounds a can. Crikey! It's got real gold in it though. Oh, that's all right. Well, I mean, I mean <laughs> yeah. So that and Moonloop Broadblast do do have the metallic element to them, so that's why they're more. But that is, it's, it's a big jump. Unfortunately, there's nothing we can do about it, is there? And ultimately. If you've reached the point where you're priced out at the end of the day, it is a, is a kind of a luxury hobby, isn't it? Um, I think maybe, maybe on a future show, maybe even next week's show, we maybe talk about how some ways of how you can still play while keeping a sensible budget. And I think that's the important thing, isn't it? Just stay within your means. You don't you don't have to buy every release. You don't have to buy everything. You know, I've I, I, I get caught up in the hype and, and buy armies at a whim and then end up selling half of it later on. It's staying focused and buying what you know you can paint, what you can enjoy, and you know, I guess just being sensible with it. Yeah, One I thing mean, I was just going to say, on the on the, the codexes and the codex prices going up, which, you know, they're almost £40 now in some cases, which is a lot, because I remember back when they were like 15 quid, although that's probably showing my age, Um and the rate at which we get supplements being released and books being released, and we touched briefly on it, how in some cases you'll buy a codex and then there'll be a supplement with more rules for that faction in it, and then another supplement with more rules for that faction in it. And it, and that, I think, is getting quite expensive now to keep up with the amount of rules that are coming out, certainly from the match play point of view. Um, and we're living in an age now where we've got Warhammer Plus. We've lots of content coming down Warhammer Plus. We've got the digital apps um, and, and I just wonder whether there's a better model that's more cost effective for their customers to start releasing some of these match play rules, at least via that route so that you've got these. I mean, you know, you, you, you take the, the Stormcast and Battle Tom that's come out recently. Um, you know, that that a Stormcast fan, an Age Sigma fan will probably still pick up that book from a, a law point of view for if there was good uh, Path to Glory content in there. Um, you know, um, the, there's the artwork, all the stories, and that sort of thing. But then the match play profiles are in an app, a digital format, or tied to the Warhammer subscription. They can be kept up to date much more quickly. Any supplements that come out after the Stormcast book, so maybe there's a new Stormhost, or take the Sisters of Battle and the Jukari. They were quite, I remember, ones where 
the Sister of Battle certainly got the new unit from Kill Team. And the Jukari had the, um, I can't remember which, which cult it was now, but they got expanded in, in the next supplement. Um, and that can be quite expensive for a Jukari player, uh, having to spend, you know, 50, 60 quid or whatever it was on the core rule book. You've got the General's Handbook every year, is it? Uh, not General, it's chapter approved every year uh, with the match play content in there. You've got your Jukari Codex and you've got the, the next supplement with the Witch Cult rules in. And then the, I think I'm sure there's another supplement with more rules in it. Uh, and I just wonder whether they can be a bit cleverer with the with the Warhammer subscription. I know the competitors like um, Infinity, Covers Belly, uh, you, you can certainly pick up all of the sort of, I call them like the background books to, that, that flesh out the story each edition. Um, but the all the rules you need for the armies and, and the units are all provided via their um, army builder app, uh, which is yeah. kept up to date and maintained that way. So. I mean, you've talked in the past, also we've got Warhammer Plus subscription, even if they had a supplemental subscription that gave you access to the rules content. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Mm, I, you know. I mean, you, you hinted about it, like, so maybe on a future episode, we talk about smart ways to, you know, spend your money in the hobby and stuff. For, for me, like, I did the, uh, this might sound silly at first, but I, I bought a Sons of Bama army. Um, which I know is, you know, you look at it and you're like, oh, 120 models for a GOG, and that's quite expensive. But now that I've got that army done, I can play that army for the next two years at competitive events. All my other armies now can be, I can only, well, I don't have to build them to 2,000 points. I can build them to 1,000 points or 600 points. But I think it's the principle of the thing myself, Andy. Like, I mean, you look at the yeah, Adeptus definitely. Custodes book, you pay you nearly £40 for an Adeptus Custodes codex, and a week later, the, all of the match play bit, the points and things, was was invalid. So you've, you've wasted money, in my opinion. You've bought a product there that is no longer fit for purpose in its entirety. And that's um, that, that sort of exaggerated when you're you're buying a sister of battle codex then within three months there's units and extra sub-faction rules which aren't in that in that codex and i don't think it was a problem when you were charging less than 20 pounds for a codex but now we're getting to 40 pounds nearly for codexes i think that becomes a different in my opinion it's not money i would put down on a codex now 40 pounds it's it's too much for an incomplete product so I, I totally. It's thirty-two fifty for the. the okay, sorry, I've got. Yeah, I mean, I, I I totally agree. I mean, I bought um years ago. I think it was the first Hedonites of Slanesh Battle Tome. I bought that digitally because I was at a hotel room and we were all just talking about. It. I was like, you know what, I'll just buy it here and now, sort of thing on iBooks. And I noticed a couple of months later when they brought out an FAQ that they actually updated the iBooks. Um, version with all the FAQ stuff in there, so mm. they changed like the um, the locus and some of the summoning points and stuff, and they they updated the digital um, version of the the, the battle tome in in iBooks, and now that we've got codexes and battle tomes with that digital code in the back that unlocks it in you know all the unlocks all the stuff in the app and whatever, uh, you know I think. Because they, they do seem to be updating the app with stuff that comes out, but obviously you have to pay that cost to buy the codex for to unlock that in the first place. I think as long as they're not charging you more after that, I, I'm happy to buy a codex for you know, £32 or whatever it is Just for them to update it. 
just to say on that point, actually, and I think that's a really good point. Um, I th- I find the app does get updated quite a lot, which is which is great. But um, if we take, for example, the latest Tau Codex, um, I tried to create an army list using the app for the Tau, and it is completely balked. Um, you, you can't change your weapons on the crisis suits to, unless you select in the same weapon in all of its hardware slots. If you try to change one weapon to a different weapon, it just crashes you out. Now, I, I get small issues, you know, like that, that might need to be fixed. But to me, that's quite a big issue that shouldn't have been there um, when the the update was launched. Um, so yeah. they do have to be very careful. Um, otherwise, they are going to have disgruntled people and i'm still waiting for an update on the app that will will fix that i mean you look at the 40k app and the age of sigma one and i mean i know the 40k one came first so it was probably testing the water and stuff but i've not really had any issues whatsoever with the age of sigma one no i will i will say that yeah for, for the most part the app seemed to be you know compared to when it was was launched and there's loads of issues that all seems to be ironed out um, it's just you know if they're gonna release an update, just just give it a good check first. I know you can't check yeah. for everything, but it's quite a major thing for not being able to swap over weapons on a suit to build your army list. Um, yeah, that seems like quite a major point to me. Um, and also going back to what Jay was saying about the Custodes book, um, the only thing I would say for balance for that is they did release the Custodes points for free to download but the problem is, is obviously yeah. the, the problem is with that is you know you could print that and put it in your book but you, you know for, from a you know a looking at point of view you've got this piece of paper loose in your nice mm. presented book and that's what i did with my sisters when the um i got the sisters novitiates data sheet i printed it and it, it was nice that they formatted it so it was like a page from the book but it still feels you've got this like nicely presented book with a piece of paper in it um, but I suppose it's better than nothing, and it didn't cost me anything extra. Well, I, I guess as well, they're, they're doing these um, balanced data slates every quarter, is it now as well? So mm. I suspect we're mm. going to see lots of points changes, and even army composition changes, the core keyword being added to units. And I think that's great. I think that's a really, really positive move by Games Workshop, which to me, just it just doesn't make sense anymore to include, because those match play rules are so fluid now, over the course of 12-month period, you know, they're changing every three months, potentially. Why put them in a codex altogether why not just make the codexes now narrative codexes with your crusade content in there you know your stats for your units are in there all the background all the law but your points are not in there now so as a match play somebody goes to tournaments and plays warhammer primarily from a match play point of view i'm not having to spend so much money every three months potentially on new chapter approved for points changes and all that sort of thing Tie that into your Warhammer Plus subscription or a match play subscription, you know, just make it a bit more accessible and a bit more cost effective for your customers, maybe. Yeah, I do like the idea of, of, of I, I like the books. I like having the, the, yeah, the stat lines in the books and all the narrative in there. I really like the idea, like you say, like disconnect the match play side from the physical codex because, you know, we can't approve every six months now. You've got the, 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 the balanced data slates. <sighs> It doesn't seem Even, like the right format for it anymore, does it? Yeah, and no. I'm not saying that Games Workshop should necessarily give it to people for free. No. But a subscription model for the match play side, to me, seems really good. Now, again, there's pitfalls there because you need a really slick app and you need all that stuff working if people are paying a sub for it. 
Yeah. I, I, but, but you could like, get like season passes and things like that, you know, for, for each yeah. season. Yeah. You subscribe to the season and that gets you then your 12 months worth of season content. So all of the new match play stuff that comes out, you subscribe to. And you're right. They definitely, I mean, they're new to the sort of digital side. The War Scroll Builder app is very, very good. Um, the 40K app needs a little bit of work. Um, but I mean, I, I can't imagine that's out, out of um, Games Workshop's sort of uh, abilities to sort of turn that around. Do, yeah. do you know, my my only thing I could say about those those points, number one, if you were basing your points on a subscription kind of model, is accessibility for everybody from the youngest Warhammer players who might be going to a, a tournament to, to the oldest generation that still play Warhammer. You've got to be careful there. Um, and also, and let's be honest, if Games Workshop removed the match play points from a book, they would justify the cost by either increasing the narrative content or, I don't know, doing something else with the book. Because I couldn't see them going backwards on the price. No, no I don't think the price no. would change, but I think maybe even still have the points in there, but you have a digital ecosystem that all the points live in. And yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe you have all the points free as part of that so everybody can play and then have all the the mission packs and stuff as a subscription maybe well the, the nice thing about 40k is obviously you've got points but you've also got power level so if you took the points out and you put into like this living document on you know balance data slate or in the app or whatever you can still like i mean for us as casual players I'm happy to use power level. I'm happy to use points. I'm not really fussed as long as I know beforehand what we're doing. So I can write an army list. You know, if you guys yeah. want to use power level, I'll use power level. If you, you want to use points, we use points. But uh, I mean, for Age of Sigma, obviously, like the points are the kind of halfway between 40k points and power levels. Yeah, so there's, I don't there's know less how that would work. in Age of Sigma because generally yeah. you're buying units in fixed blocks, aren't you? You're not buying equipment yeah. for them, which is where a lot of the complexity of 40k comes from, where the, the, the power level boils that down to an abstract figure where this unit with whatever your armor is worth roughly this. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a toughie and they're not going to solve it overnight. Uh, I, I think it is telling that some of the bigger price changes in this in this this current wave are the printed materials because we've talked about energy and, and transport costs these are things that games workshop aren't producing themselves so that that that'll be why they're increasing because they're being printed they're being shipped from somewhere else mm. aren't they you, you've got extra costs factored in there but jay you you are right it is maybe getting to the point where back in the day i used to buy every single book and i do try and buy every supplement but it is getting to the point where maybe you've got to think twice about one because that could be a box of models. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, I love the fact that we're getting so much gaming content from Games Workshop, and I wouldn't want that to change. Um, it's yeah, it's just whether whether a paper book and especially a paper book released so soon after the other paper book you've just bought for that army, I don't know. I think this is um, is obviously a topic that we could go on and, and talk about for for quite some time. I, I think if we were to summarise, um, I think a price change was inevitable. Um, we all work in different kind of um, positions, kind of jobs, and in each of our jobs, I think we can all say that we've we've seen the effects of, of price increase. I know I most certainly have with like containers and things like that. So I think a price change was inevitable. Um, 
I think for the most part, in in my opinion, um, what they've tried to do is they've tried to divide up the rising costs um, between the different ranges and uh, 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 kind of materials as, as best as they can. Uh, and I think for the most part, they've they've done an okay job of that. Like with Blood Bowl, seeing a slight increase on their boxes, that might be one or two cells per person compared to like Intercess or something. Um, but yeah, I think they have hit, they have missed the mark on a few things. I think you, you guys have made really good points on the whole point system and in, in, in books and stuff like that. So we'll have to see as, as Games Workshop continues to embrace the digital age, where they go um in that aspect in in what they do sort of next year with with match play and like i said the, the you know how fluid the system is now um i have a feeling we'll be coming back to this subject probably in 12 months time maybe less than that <laughs> yeah i mean my final takeaway is majority of stuff has only gone up 50p a pound you know it's not mm. massive increases when you consider that food items in the supermarket some have gone up 25 percent in the same you know mm. the same period nothing is immune from these price increases and i i, I do believe that games have tried to make these as as palatable as possible mm-hmm. uh jay do you have any final takeaways for this sec- section final points on the points no no i think i think it's it's all been said like you say it, it's not it's not a massive increase in uh pounded um so i think i think um on on the whole it shouldn't affect my hobby too much andy any final points um yeah just like jay said i i I don't think this is massively going to affect my hobby i mean yes i do think about how much i spend in the hobby compared to you know how much i actually do end up building and painting um but i think a it's understandable and b yeah i don't think it's really going to affect how much i buy so Mm. Excellent. Well, I think we all need to take a bit of a breather after that one, (laughs) Um, but we're going to go a bit more lighthearted because our top three is coming up next. I think of fans of the hobby, there's always that one miniature that gets released or previewed that we think, "Ah, I've got to own that. And before too long, it's turned into a full-blown army. Um, So for this week's top three, we're going to be discussing free miniatures that have inspired or tempted us to purchase full armies and i think this week we're going to start with you jay what what is your top three so my top three um my first one um and i, I can't actually remember when this model was released but this was certainly the model that drew me to this army and i've been in love with this army ever since and it was the Metal Dwarven Ironbreakers oh, for nice. Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Ooh. So these are like the basically the only bit of organic matter you can see on this model is the beard. <laughs> Everything else is encased in Grumril armor. They've got this big chunky round shield, big chunky armor plates, um, helm with the stylized sort of dwarvish um, face mask on. Um, I just love the look of this unit and then it, it really sort of um i really got sort of like inspired by the whole sort of um army theme these iron breakers were the sort of elite dwarf warriors that 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 fought underground for predominantly for, for most of their sort of life they were in the tunnels guarding all these like caved in tunnel entrances and things for skaven and goblins attacking the dwarven mines um 
and then really it was off the back of that 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 I started collecting dwarfs as an army. So I, I had um, a very big dwarf army Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Um, I can't remember which edition of the game I started. Um, and then they were replaced with the new plastic um, dwarf uh, range that was released right at the end of Warhammer Fantasy Battle. Um, and there were some new dwarf ironbreakers that were released as a dual kit with the Iron Drakes. Now, I actually prefer the um, ironbreakers the original metal ones to the new ones. Now I've got, I think I've got 20 of the new ones and they are very nice models, but they don't have that same appeal to me as the old metal line breakers, which is why I never got rid of my old metal line breakers. I still have them. I'd love to see that sort of dwarf aesthetic get revisited in age of Sigma. And we've got sort of the hint of Gungni returning in the law now. And he's sort of like the, the Smith God, the Smith dwarf. Um, I, I sort of associate him with that sort of older dwarf aesthetic so you know you never know we, we may see that the old sort of dwarfs come out from the mountain holes again in the near future um the second model that spawned an army and spawned quite a big army for me really um was back at the launch of eighth edition with the um now then what was it dark imperium box set was it with the death guard versus the, mm. the space marines and it was the, 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 the birth of the Primaris range, and in particular, those Primaris intercessors. And it was actually the Primaris intercessors from that box that made me fall in love with that range of models and, and spawned my Primaris Ultramarines army that I've got now, which is over 4,000 points large um, in size. Um, those original Dark Imperium Primaris intercessors, which were, were they easy built, easy to build? They were easy to build, they yeah. They were, yeah. Yeah, I think they're incredible. The poses they've got with them and that, the, you know, I actually prefer those easy to build primary intercessors to the multi-part primary intercessors that you can buy, in, in you know, separately in the boxes now. Um, the ones, some of them like sort of swinging to look behind them, looking over, down the sights of their rifles. Um, even the, um, the squad leader who sort of, um, I believe he's sort of like in a weird sort of striding forward pose uh, with his bolt rifle held out beside him. I think they're brilliant. Absolutely great. Um, and yeah, off the back of that, that sort of that, that's when I first started painting ultramarines. Um, and I've not looked back. I'm just looking on my shelf now. I've got um, they were sort of expanded when we got Indomitus with the sort of um, the assault intercessors and the Blagar veterans and things like that. There's a couple of dreadnoughts in there, a couple of tanks, a Primarch, a ton of librarians and chaplains and lieutenants and whatnot. Um, I'm really looking forward to. The, the new Primaris models that we're getting. So obviously we've got the company champion coming. We've had the 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 two Space Marines that Andy was lucky enough to paint up for the website, mm. uh, the Gravis Captain and the Standard Bearer. Uh, I mean we must be we must be on the cusp of a new Space Marine Codex, and I imagine we'll get some new Space Marine models alongside that. So um, yeah, so that was the second model that inspired an army. And then I had to go right back to um, when I first got into the hobby, and we. Myself and Dave, my brother, um, a couple of other friends, we were contemplating which armies to build, which armies we were going to buy. And, I mean, we've just had a big conversation about price rises and, and, you know, combat patrol boxes going up to £80, is it now? Well, back in the day, you could get yourself a battle force for 40 quid, and and that would be a tank, a, a unit, some jet bikes, a, another small vehicle. And the, the battle force I chose was the Eldar, um, and it was mainly based off the... the um, the Eldar Guardian models, the Guardian Defenders with their Shrieken catapults. I really like the sort of almost like ant-like look to them with the sort of veins on the backpacks and the mm. domed uh, helmets. 
Um, obviously, these were the elves in space, and I, I, and I like I like the elves. Um, but I just loved the the sort of slick, sort of athletic looking Eldar guardian. Um, and it's really cool now to, to you know we must be 20, 25 years later, Dave, uh, and uh, we've got we've got new Eldar guardians on the horizon. Um, so things come round. So that's why you were still using those guardians. <laughs> I, I, yeah, well, I was still using those guardians. Yeah, and, um, and it's really cool actually to see that the new Eldar guardians they're sort of almost identical in design. They're just more sort of fluid, and you know you've got some running forward, and um, I think you've got some as well with different poses, so they could be holding the weapons in different ways and throwing grenades and whatnot by the looks of the um, the, the images we've seen. So so there you go. They're my oh, top three choices. Excellent. Some really interesting choices there, going for some standard troops guardians. Was uh, I wasn't expecting that. Um, Matt, how about yourself? What are your, what's your top three? So I've got a bit of an assortment, and some of them are really really old, but we'll go we'll go. So um, yeah, I've I've got a big Deathcore Krieg army, but the model that made me fall in love with them was I believe it was a limited edition, either a Games Day or a, a Forge World Open Day, and it was Deathcore Krieg Commissar on horse. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you said this model. Such a good model, and this that that model made me fall in in love with the Deathcore range. And I was I was it it it's always been an army that I'd, I'd wanted to do, but you know obviously it was a Ford World army and 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 quite expensive. And when I got the job, well technically the job I'm currently in, when I started that, the f- the first kind of like paycheck and bonus that I got, I decided that I'd 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 I'd, I'd start the Deathcore Krieg and. I'd, I'd picked up that commissar a bit a, a, like a couple of years ago at one of the shows, and I'd, I'd painted it up and I'd used um, polyfiller to make a, a textured trench base, and there was like razor wire and stuff in there. And I hadn't written down the scheme, and I still haven't written down the scheme. I really need to do that at some point. It's been like 15 years now, but anyway. <laughs> and yeah, it just just that look was so so different to the. I mean, the Catechins and the Cadians really were your options for accessible uh, Astra Militarum regiments or Imperial Guard regiments as they were back in the day. So to have this kind of really grim trench warfare kind of vibe was just something else. And I don't know, it was just something about that Commissar model. It just just absolutely sold me on the concept of the Kriegers. And look at where we are now. We've got Plastic Death Corps Krieg. (laughs) Can you imagine a Plastic Death Corps Krieg Commissar? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, that'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. So, unfortunately, it's one not one that you can buy anymore. But uh, yeah, I am I am very fond of mine and, and and still really happy with the paint scheme that I did all those years ago. Whenever I try and recreate it on the new plastic ones. Um, now, my second choice is a controversial one, and he has appeared on the show a few times. But I, I need to to sing the praises of this guy. It is the Tyranid Screamer Killer, mm-hmm. the original Metal Carn Effects. <laughs> He's a he's a funny looking fella, but back in uh, back in the day, uh, uh, Games Workshop Liverpool, I uh, when I was when I was picking a 40k army to kind of get into, they had a store opening. Now on the store opening events, they had they had money off vouchers for codexes and boxed games. Me and my brother had got the second edition box game back in. This must be 1995 now, with the with the orcs and the space marines. And orcs were cool. I like orcs. But they weren't Tyranids, were they? And I was looking through all the all the all the racks and looking at all the models. And I remember the big kind of um, 
the 40k second edition box came with with three books one with like profiles in one with the rules in and then one which was basically lore and pictures of all the models and i fell in love with those tyranid models those goofy plastic tyranid warriors with the book teeth the old metal hive tyrant and particularly that screamer killer so there was a there was a there was a buy i think it was buy three boxes get the the cheapest one free and uh yeah a money off voucher for for the codex and I remember going and buying the, the the codex and i think i got hive tyrant the carnifex and elixir and got one of them free and that was the start of my tyranid army didn't have any troops but they were big gribbly <laughs> monsters that looked cool so uh yeah we went from that and back in the day you could get a box of termagants for like five pounds as well and think gene stealers as well so uh yeah i don't know yes all those models look ridiculous now but they've got a fun place in my heart. I like the fact that Bat was going for a Crusher Stampede before it was cool. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> that is. <laughs> that, that was that was there before the cool kids. <laughs> but my number one model is, is an interesting one. So back when, I guess, this is my first proper entry into the hobby. And this is probably a, a year or two prior to the to the, the Tyranids. And a friend of mine in school had um, Warhammer Army books. This would have been fourth fifth edition a long time ago and when on lunch we used to sit in the library and he'd bring his army books and we'd look through like the empire army book and like wow how cool is this and i remember going i, I remember it really vividly and it's, it's really strange but i think my mum had gone for a haircut and next door there was a um a news agents and i got in bought bought some chocolate and i saw a white dwarf magazine on the rack and up until that point, there wasn't really anywhere in crew to buy kind of Warhammer stuff. There was an independent shop called Refinery 13 that opened a little bit after that. But really, you had to go to Stoke, didn't you, to, to get some Warhammer yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. So seeing a, Warhammer, yeah, seeing a Warhammer magazine in crew that I could buy, I was like, oh, I really want that. So I got the magazine and, and kind of pouring through every page. And on, on one page, they had a converted Wood Elf General riding a griffin. And I think they'd used um, the, I think it was the Carl Franz Griffin that they'd used and the Wood Elf Lord on Steed and kitbashed it to make this 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 Wood Elf Lord on a, on a Griffin. Because I guess some of you younger readers won't know that back in back in the fifth edition Warhammer, you could buy various different monsters to sit your heroes on. And you could also have monsters that you could add to your army list. It was like a percentage system where you could have I don't know. I think it was at least 25% characters up to 50% heroes and an optional 25% monsters. Those figures might be completely wrong, but that's basically how army building worked. And arguably, I know Jay, you mentioned it today. That'd be a cool thing to bring back in some form. Yeah. Um, and 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 yeah, the, with, even though it wasn't part of the, the you know the the big monster kit for the Wood Elves with the Forest Dragon, but I just fell in love with this thing. And at the time, in the back of White Dwarf. When they had a featured army, they would often have a bundle deal where they would sell you the individual parts to to make that conversion. Yeah, I remember that. So I had to phone the mail order trolls and and and, and order this model, and then for I think it was for, for for a birthday that followed it, I got all the bits, and it was it was all metal at the time. And <laughs> first foray into building Warhammer models, trying to pin a uh, a Griffin was maybe kind of going into the deep end, but I ran with it, and yeah, I just. I just fell in love with this model and that kind of captured the Wood Elves for me. It's just a little bit bizarre that it isn't technically a Wood Elf model. It was a conversion. 
yeah mm. funny funny how things like that kind of uh affect you isn't it absolutely but um still a very valid entry nice one for that matt now you guys have delved quite a bit into the the past my top three is much more recent so we'll start with my first also but this was an incredibly hard top three because i'll probably throw in some at the end of this section but there was a few models that i was like should that be in there should this not be in there so i could have probably done quite easily a top 10 but i've narrowed it down to these three um because i thought they're quite a good um, selection so we all have heard on this podcast that i've kind of been dipping in and out with the skaven uh, and one of the reasons for that is i still think this model is really cool today and that is the screaming bell and um, it's an absolutely classic model it's the oldest model in this top three um because it harks back to obviously warhammer fantasy battle um i remember i think one of the first times i saw it in person was probably your brother lee jay um yeah. with the other skaven army such an awesome model um it was quite big as well back in the day and i think you know it's it's obviously not as compared to sort of greater demons and stuff it's a little bit small now but it's still a really cool centerpiece model for your skaven army um it's always had fun rules um yeah i've always loved it um so that that was my third choice my second choice um now this definitely made me want to collect this army it's quite a large model it's the void dragon for the necrons the void dragon nice yeah so i spoke about this quite a lot when it was revealed on on um, the podcast and i was waxing lyrical about how you know i I really want to build a necron army Um, sometimes i do this and then never end up actually doing it but i did actually i did actually build a necron army and i have purchased and built and painted my void dragon that is just sitting behind me on the shelf of the rest of my necrons uh and i love it i think it's such an amazing model um i've not had a chance to use it all that much i think really i need to take my necrons um up to 2000 points so you'll get a bit bit more usage um but yeah an absolutely superb model Uh, i love everything about him like his his um kind of his wings the bits of black stone that are floating around him all the little scarabs all the kind of like pixelation kind of detail that's coming off him mm. um absolutely amazing and it was an absolute joy to put together as well um so yeah uh, definitely uh, definitely had to be in my top three but there could only be one number one choice for a model that maybe we want to collect an army it's when back when we um we did our contrast challenge when the contrast paints came out I picked an army that I was like, I'm going to do this this start collecting box, but I absolutely will add this model at the first available opportunity, and that is the Moor Crusher for the Iron Jaws. I yeah. absolutely love this model. I remember seeing it for the first time in, um, was it Coventry we saw it? I think it was Coventry. It was. Yeah. And um, it was like, it, those along with the rest of the Iron Jaws were, I think, because we had the Stormcast, didn't we? We had the... Um, uh, corn mm. um blood um blood warriors or i can't remember what they're called blood bound. blood bound yeah and they were all okay and then i remember the iron jaws big beefy sort of black orc looking orcs yeah they were racing the more crush was there at the time and i remember saying to the to the, the guys behind the desk how how um, cool those models were to sort of get people in sage sigma i only wish that they've they'd expand the iron jaws range 
obviously what they've done now is they've got the Warclans book and they brought in the Bone Splitters um, and the Crow Boys. But I'd love to see them expand on the Iron Jaws. You know, we've got Brutes, we've got Gorgrunters, and we've got the really old Black Orcs, which are now the Hard Boys. Oh, give us some more new units. You could, you you know. could have like chariots, couldn't you? And big standard yeah. bearers and a big like monster. Crossbowers. Yeah. Um, it'd be great. But yeah, my number one choice, it, it's my favourite Age of Sigmar model. I think it's it's the war boss on the War Crusher. That leads us leaves that leaves us with one further team member to reveal their top three. That's you, Andy. <laughs> well, funnily enough, a couple of things you guys have mentioned have almost made my list. <laughs> so the the more crusher definitely almost made my made my list. I mean, I've not done an Iron Joe's army yet, but every time I look at that model range, I do look at the more crusher and think, wow, that is a stunningly nice model. Mm. Um. But my list is based off armies that I've um, done um, and, and why I've done them. So my third choice is um, uh, is the, the humble glutton for Ogamore tribes. Oh, um, classic! Yeah, back back when I back when I uh, first built my first ever glutton, or at the time they were called Ogre Balls, I think they were called. Um, it was like the sixth edition Ogre Kingdoms. Um, book and I remember picking up a um, effectively like a start collecting box it was like an army box at the time it was a really good box you, you multiple of those you could build an army dead easy yeah yeah I, 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 and I remember sitting down in uh, my, sort of like my, my hobby area and just spent the entire day just building all of the contents of this army box and then a couple of years ago I think it was um when the purple Walker unicorns, when we were sort of like just getting going and, and stuff like this, I did a um, 1500 points of ogre war tribes or eventually what became ogre war tribes. And it was basically just tons and tons of gluttons because <laughs> the, the models themselves are so nice and easy to batch paint. You know, you've got trousers and you've got skin and that's about 90% of the model there. Um, that I, I did an army for this one day event and I, I, I kind of had it in my mindset. I've got all of my battle line units done. So when the Ogre Moor Tribes book comes out and hopefully, you know, obviously, you know, it's a while ago now, uh, they bring out tons of new kits and I've got all the battle line stuff and I can just add some flavor and stuff to it. And um, yeah, for, for me, it's for gluttons. I mean, I've always had a small place in my heart for small elite armies and, yeah, the, the gluttons um, definitely tick all those boxes for me. My second choice was actually my first ever army that I ever completed, and that's my Warhammer Fantasy Dwarf Army. Mm. But instead of picking every model in the entire range, I picked my favourite unit, and that is the old metal Dwarf Hammerer models. Because for me, just seeing all of those hammers raised in the air with two hands just looked so imposing and so cool and like jay said with the Ironbreakers, where they you know they were clad in this gromrel armor and they looked so resilient and so dwarfy for me the hammerers they they looked very similar but in the sense that they were almost like an, an aggressive sort of pose and and for me i remember sitting there at warhammer world 
the day before a throne of schools with a um, good friend of a show, Craig Chesters. And we were sat painting, um, I think it was about like 30 metal hammers. And I'd done all the base coats and it's just a case of doing the, the Devlin mud wash and then adding like texture paint to the base and stuff like that. But they're such nice models to batch paint. And they were such cool models. And even in game, like I had um, a unit of 25 dwarf hammers and then I'd throw like a dwarf lord and a rune lord and a BSB and stuff into the unit. They were always my MVP in every single game. And for me, I I would never leave home without one of those units in my army. Um, mm. So that's my second choice. My first choice is sat right next to me now and they are crying out to be used and hopefully in a couple of weeks they will get used and that's the custodian guard for adeptus custodes um back when 8th edition launched i was a huge fan of 8th edition i loved the fact that they gave vehicles toughness values but then gave them tons of wounds to compensate for the toughness values and stuff like that and you know, people said, oh, with enough las guns, you can kill a land raider. I'm like, I don't think anyone has ever killed a land raider with las guns and nothing but las guns. But, you know, and <laughs> I was such a huge fan of 8th edition. And I wanted to jump in with, again, a small elite army. And you don't really get much smaller and much more elite than the Adeptus Custodes. And... Again, at this stage, I think I painted a Necron army for 40k, and that was about it. You know, uh, I hadn't really dived into 41st Millennium. Like, I played tons of games with my Necrons, like tons of games since 5th edition. But the Adeptus Custodes allowed me to paint up a, an army very quickly that allowed me to jump back into 8th edition and play the game. And even now, I look at the Adeptus Custodes and, you know, again, being a small elite army, you can really take your time and really spend a lot of time painting like three or four models. But that could end up being like 500 points of your army. And so for me, I I, I painted up three units of three because back when I, I did the army, you had to, well, you didn't have to, but... It, you really wanted a battalion detachment where you had to take three troop choices whereas now you don't because they've opened up so many more detachments and stuff but i still come back to the humble custodian guard because there's not much that they can do that the other stuff in the codex can't i mean that's not entirely true but basically the models look amazing they do. I think the whole custodies range is um, is really really nice. Um, I enjoyed playing it. I've only played against your custodies once, Andy, but I, hopefully in a couple of weeks I might face them again. But I've 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 been on the the losing end of Jay's custodies on more than one occasion, unfortunately. <laughs> Apart from when I hit him with mortal wounds from a thousand suns army, that was fun. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, well we've not got any uh three plus and vulnerable saves anymore so you know not I'm many there's a, there's a couple of ways in there but not yeah many. yeah cool um so uh, i think it's time for the final segment of this week's show it's time to find out which models the community have picked for their top three so we'll be right back
before we bid you all farewell, it is time to read out the community top three picks. And I'm going to start over on Facebook. David Anderson, he has gone for a real classic model for his third choice, the Goblin Hewer for an end time Slayer army. That was a proper cool kit. Oh wasn't yeah, it? Uh, was it Malikson? I think the yeah uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, his second choice is the old metal Typhus model for the Death Guard. Got me into 40k. And his top choice is the Knight Azros for the Stormcast. That's the, um, I believe that's a flying knight with the lantern, uh, I think. Uh, Brian Dennis, his third choice is a Baden for the Black Legion. Um, the Lord Exorcist for the Stormcast is his second choice. And for his top choice, he's gone for the humble Death Rattle, uh, Death Rattle Skeletons. They're nice. The new ones are very nice. Mm. Uh, Mark Dewhurst, his third choice is the Lord Commander Bastion Carphalos. He's obviously the new um, Hammers of Sigmar um, hero. Uh, his second choice is the Tau Crisis suit and or Hammerhead when they originally came out back in the day. I know, um, I remember us getting very excited when we saw those, Jay, because we were very kind of, we were watching Gundam Wing and stuff. Yeah. And then suddenly you've got all these like mech suits in Warhammer. Amazing. Uh, and his top choice is the great unclean one. Technically, my wife's choice. She really liked one painted at Games Workshop York, so I bought one and started a Nurgle army. Excellent. Kill Team Ken. He doesn't have armies. He has kill teams, but he still provided us a top three. So for his third choice, he's gone for the new Dark Strider. He's got a building a new Tau kill team. His second choice is the Orc Commandos, especially the Dacker Boy. And his top choice is is the new Necron Flayed Ones. It's got him back into the hobby about a year ago. Finally on Facebook, we've got Craig Brayton. His third choice is the original Metal Harlequin box set slash Harlequin jet bike. Do you remember that, Jay? The, the original one with the metal canopies that you could buy that people used yeah. to use over the top of Wraith Lords, the old metal Wraith Lords. Yeah, uh, I assume cool. so. I've got the old um, Metal Harlequin models upstairs, actually. Um, I remember... In- third edition there was a i think it was a white dwarf codex for it for all kinds of weird things like mimes and domino fields um and i, I managed to get all these metal harlequins when when that sort of third edition codex was released excellent uh, and his top choice uh, sorry his second choice is the current typhus uh, and his top choice is the Skaven Screaming Bell. And he's interestingly put both versions. I must There must have been a classic original one that I don't remember. I always thought there was only been the one. But um, obviously I was wrong. Uh, I'll have to check out that original one. Uh, Matt, what do we have over on Twitter? So over on Twitter, Jim Daduku says, the new plastic apothecary for the Sisters of Battle, particularly the face mask, uh, mm. the giant flying battleship for the Caradrons, and the Da Vinci-inspired gliders for the Mechanicus that got way out of hand in 2021. He put some images of his uh, Mechanicus army. You know what? I love those um, Archaeopters, they're called, aren't they? Yeah, they're ace. so cool. Um, Jem Jackson says, uh, the Doomstalker is 100% behind my Necrons, literally and figuratively. I love the Doomstalker. Uh, Zinch Sorcerer on disc. The sculpt still looks amazing today. And the second edition Orc War Bike. One bike and two massive auto cannons is all a 12 year old needs to be convinced to use green skins in 1996. You're not wrong, Jeff. <laughs> um, just this guy you know says, uh, These four inspired me to start a new force. Zarbag's gits made me go wow over Gloom's bite. Ooh. The Mega Gargan started my children of Bayamats. 
the swamp caller for the cruel boys and the hag for the trogoths oh, i love that hag model and finally george lowe it says the new monolith made me start a new necron army at the start of ninth uh, though I i've do, yet to get the monolith do love that monolith it's such a cool model it is cool the the broadside battle suit dragged me into tau and mortarian is the reason i've got six thousand points of death guard after being gifted a box of five cultists that's things escalating isn't it <laughs> whoa that's a lot of death guard so yeah some really cool picks uh, this week excellent matt what is next week's top three well next week it's the black library celebration weekend so i thought in honor of that and we haven't done it for a while i want to know your top three black library books Excellent. Nice and straightforward. You can get your choices in early via our social media channels or alternatively, just before the recording of next week's episode, we'll put a tweet and a message out on Facebook asking for your top threes. Simply drop a reply to that and we'll uh, hopefully read it out on next week's show. So it's been quite a chunky episode this week, but that it has now unfortunately come to a close. Um, our thanks, as always, for all of your support. We'll be back again next week with more hobby goodness. And until then, speak to you all again very soon. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the Sprues and Brews podcast. For more content, remember to check out spruesandbrews.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, send us a tweet at spruesandbrews or head over to facebook.com forward slash spruesandbrews. Brews.